we're going to conclude our I Believe series today. And since it's Christmas, I thought we'd kind of conclude with something related to Christmas. Uh, I'm not sure you noticed this, but usually the first week of December, we start singing Christmas songs. And so at your house, probably the lights are, have been strung and the Christmas tree's up. Our tree went up yesterday. And the decorations and gifts have been purchased or are in process of being purchased. And cards have been sent or received. And we start to sing Christmas songs. And so we do that beginning the first week of December. And we'll sing them for a couple of more weeks. But at this time of year, we reminisce and think about the old songs and maybe even learn a couple of new songs. So let me ask you. Think of your favorite Christmas carol, right? You got it? Tell the person next to you your favorite carol. Just tell them. All right, Santa Baby is not a Christmas carol, all right? Yeah. Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town is a carol. That can be your favorite. All right, how, all right we're done that now. Uh, how many of you said Joy to the World is your favorite creation song? Okay, here's our Joy to the World lyrics up here. Um, here's an interesting uh, fact about Joy to the World. Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. We kind of think it is because we sing it at this time of year. But Isaac Watts did not write this as a Christmas song. We think it's a Christmas song because of what the first verse says. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. So just like the inn didn't have any room, make sure your heart has room. You remember stories like that, right? Let earth receive her king. Actually... Joy to the World is a song written based on the second half of Psalm 89. And it's all about Christ's return, not about his first coming, but about his second coming. In fact, that's crystal clear if we put the next couple of verses up here. So let me ask you a couple of questions if, to show this is not a Christmas song. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Do any of you have sins and sorrows? Well, if, if you do have sins and sorrows, that's not what Joy to the World's about. How about this one? Do you still have thorns? Not at this time of the year. They're all dying, right? But I guarantee you when spring comes, you're going to, have to be wrestling with weeds and thorns. This song is about Christ's coming, and there's not going to be any more sin, any more sorrows, no more thorns. How about this one? He rules the world with truth and grace. Is, you see Christ ruling every facet of your life in this world today? No. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World about Christ's second coming, not his first coming. Sorry to ruin your favorite Christmas song. But actually, it is appropriate to sing joy to the world at Christmas time because the mission of God can't be dissected and put into little boxes and separated from each other. The mission of God is one mission. All the components fit together. All of the acts fit into the same grand story. So as we're going to look this morning at I Believe... In Acts 6. Now, for those of you that may not have hung on around Calvary Church for the last couple of years, you may say, Acts 6, what the heck is that? Is that some kind of code? Well, in a sense, it is. Acts 6 is the terminology we used as the last act in the big mission, the big story of God. So some of you may remember these particular acts. They're the six acts in the story of the Bible. And notice, Acts 6 is built on Acts 5 and 4 and 3 and 2 and 1, right? It's one big story. So we can sing Joy to the World, which is about Acts 6, because Act 4 makes Act 6 possible. The Bible's one big story. It begins with God creating, and then at the fall, God was rejected. 
God made promises because he was not going to let sin be the last part of the story. And then God appears in Jesus Christ. And then God sends us out with that message. That's why we invite. That's why we say take those wonder cards. Take those Christmas cards and invite people. Because we're sent to bring that good news to the people around us. And after the sending part comes the restoring part. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to read a few verses from Revelation 21. Then we're going to jump over, and I'll read a few verses from Revelation 22. And remember what what I said at the beginning. Last week we looked at the community, the church, the community that believes and lives out what we've been talking about for three months now. This morning, we're going to talk about the destination of that community that believes and lives out the good news of the Christmas story. Follow along. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now turn over to 22, and let's read the first few verses of that chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the conclusion of the Christmas story. That's the destination of the people of God that believe and live out what the good news of the Bible is all about. Now we're going to, for a few minutes, kind of walk through that. And we're going to do it under three heads. We're going to look at the situation. We're going to look at a little of the destination. And then we'll look at the invitation. And then we're going to sing at the end what we believe. So first of all, the situation. Now in the verses that I read, in those two passages... It's future, right? A lot of future tense verbs. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain. It's future. And most people, when they read the book of Revelation, most Christians, most anybody, when they read the book of Revelation, their minds immediately shift into future mode. And they begin to think about what the future's like. And maybe they think of questions like this. What will my apartment be like? Will I have a good view? How many robes will I have? 
Will I get crowns? I know I'm going to have more crowns than the jerk sitting next to me here. What's it going to be like? But you got to remember, when John wrote Revelation, when he received this from Jesus, John was writing to a group of people in, at the end of the first century. He didn't directly write this to us. He does write it to us, but we're kind of the secondary audience. The primary audience was people in John's day. They were living in a real time. They were experiencing real difficulties. What was going on? Well, we get a little hint of that in one of the verses. A new heaven and a new earth. Well, why a new heaven and a new earth? Because the earth that we have now is kind of screwed up and flawed, right? The curse not only affects our hearts, the curse affects our world and everything about us. In fact, if you were to read the first few chapters of Revelation, you pick up more than a few hints that the church, the people in John's day, were going through very difficult times. Let me just give you a couple of brief um, notes on what was happening. The Roman Empire continued to expand and it was really difficult to bring unity to kind of a ragtag bunch of people that had been conquered. They had different religious beliefs. They had different, you know, lifestyles. Their lives were radically different. And so the emperors came up with a pretty cool idea to bring unity to the empire. Most of the people believed in all kinds of gods. So what they thought is, we got an idea. Let's just add a god to the long list of gods they already worship, and maybe this one God would bring unity because everybody would now believe in one God. Now, the one God that they proposed everybody believe in was not the God of the Bible. It was the emperor himself. And so emperor worship was then instituted. And the Roman leaders did that thinking that would bring unity to the empire because it didn't matter what God you were worshiping. We worshiped one God in common, the Roman emperor. Oh, yeah. And if you didn't want to worship the Roman emperor, if you refused, the consequences were brutal. You'd lose your property. You'd lose your freedom. You'd lose your life. Well, those early Christians refused to worship the emperor. They refused to say Caesar is king. They said, no, 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 we have only one king. Jesus is king. And many of those early Christians were persecuted, tortured, and executed for what they believed. And for what they wouldn't do, worship the emperor. John's writing to people experiencing that kind of suffering and that kind of pain and that kind of persecution. Well, if you're experiencing difficulty, what do you need to overcome and to continue on that path? You need hope, right? I was listening to WIP the other night, Sports Talk Radio. I go to to fall asleep listening to WIP. I hit the sleep button and it plays for 90 minutes and it goes off and in the morning at 5 15 the alarm goes off and WIP comes on and I pick up again and sometimes if I can't sleep I hit the sleep button again in the middle of the night and I listen to WIP in the middle of the night well this past Tuesday I couldn't sleep so it's about three o'clock or so I turn it down my wife she, she's still sleeping I hit the sleep button and on comes Big Daddy Grant He's on from 2 to 6, 2 to 5.30. So if you're ever awake, 2 to 5.30, put on WIP 94 FM, and you can hear Big Daddy Grant. Mike, one of the regular callers, he calls into Big Daddy. And Mike, on this, about 3.15, on, two, on when, early Wednesday morning, Mike is waxing philosophical. Here's what Mike says at 3.15 Wednesday morning. Well, you'll have no hope unless you have options. Now, he wasn't talking about the Bible or Jesus. He was talking about the 76ers. And here's what he said. The reason people still have hope in the 76ers 
even though at that time the record was like 8 and 8 or 4 and 18 or something like that. The reason they still have hope, because Ben Simmons isn't playing yet. Ben Simmons is still recovering. And you see, once the calendar turns and we get Simmons into the lineup, and all of a sudden Joel can play the whole game rather than 27 minutes, once Joel can play the whole game and Simmons is in the lineup, the Sixers are going to be great. We have hope because we have options. You know, Mike kind of knows what he's talking about. If you've exhausted all the options, there is no hope. What did, that, what did those early Christians need? They needed hope. They needed to know that at the end of all of that suffering, at the end of all of that persecution, you choose and do things the right way, at the end, there will be acceptance and love and peace and joy and all of those. And it doesn't matter what you're experiencing here. At the end of the dark tunnel is a light that's unimaginable. So let me ask you, what are you experiencing these days? Pain? Physical pain? Maybe it's relational pain? Maybe you're in a marriage that's not too great. Maybe your kids are kind of off the rails. Maybe you're caring for parents and you're saying, I didn't sign up for this duty. Maybe your job's terrible or maybe you lost your job. Maybe your finances are almost non-existent. Whatever it is, this book's for you. Remember the end of the story. The end of the story is that all of our difficulties and all of our pain is swallowed up in, how did Isaac Watts say it? In joy. When Jesus returns, whatever sorrow, difficulty you've been through will be swallowed up in joy forever and ever. That's the destination. Well, let's tease out a little bit more of the detail of what that looks like. What's the destination in particular? Now, you've got to remember in what I read, some of the details in Revelation are weirded out, right? We've got a city coming, but it's dressed in a big wedding dress. You got a lion and a lamb on the throne. You got lots of weird things in here, right? But if we get behind the pictures, there really is some keys to the destination that will help us. The first thing we, uh, one of the first things we read is this the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, it's a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Let me remind you of what it does not say. It does not say, the holy suburbs coming down out of heaven from God. Holy Harleysville coming down out of heaven from God. The holy farmland coming down out of heaven from God. The holy spacious sky and giant plains of the Midwest. No, no, no. It's a holy city. And some of you are getting real nervous now, right? You hate to go to New York and Philly. Tough. You're going to be in a city forever and ever. Now, what primarily separates a city from the suburbs, from the, from the farmlands and the plains? People, right? You go to Philadelphia, you're crowded with people. Go to New York, it's crowded with people. Yeah, the new heavens and the new earth is full of people. And you know what that kind of reminds you? You may say, well, I don't like to go to the city. I avoid them at all costs. Okay, have you ever been to Disney World during peak season? Uh, that's kind of a feel of a city. That's where we're headed. You're not going to have a little rant somewhere where you never rub shoulders with people. You're up close and personal. Yes, and just in that video, they're annoying people and frustrating people and people to tick you off. And the new heavens and the new earth, it's crowded with people. Yeah, but all of those annoyances and frustrations and all that selfishness and sin has been taken care of. 
And now we will, we will know others and be known by them. We'll love others and be loved by them. And in that context, we will experience what God originally intended. Remember at the very beginning of the Bible, God says this. He already creates Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so then he creates Eve to be with Adam and they live in community. It's still not good for people to be alone. And when some of you thought about the suffering that you're going through a couple minutes ago, it was relational isolation. Maybe you feel alone. And maybe your aloneness is part of your doing. Maybe it's because of someone else's doing. But it's not good to be alone. The destination we're headed toward is a destination of community and relationship as God intended. And no one will be alone. That's good news, isn't it? We're headed to a community. But it's not just a community. We also read... That it's a community where everything is new. Look at this. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I know, let me ask, we're all among friends, so you can answer, right? How many of you have ever watched Say Yes to the Dress? Raise your hand. Yeah. Men, if you're ever hating your job, all right, think about it. If you ever despise going, you're driving to work thinking this is worse than hell, going to work where you, just think, you may work at a store where you're selling bridal gowns to women and they come out and model for their family members. I mean, I can't think of a worse job in the world, right? Um, say yes to the dress. Well, if you've never seen the show, here's what it is. These women go in and they pick out and then purchase their wedding gown. They like never go alone. I guess that's a part of the suspense of the show. They go in with parents. They go in with all the bride. They go in with people. And the people that they bring really don't want the bride to look that good that day because she's going to show them up. So the best dresses, they all veto. And they, they try to get her an ugly dress, right? So they'll be able to fit into the whole, you know, decor of things. Um, but you ever notice, though, wedding dresses, regardless of what they purchase, have the, have the ability, we could say it this way, wedding dresses have the primary purpose to cover up flaws. Isn't that right? Um, that's why they're so big, right? Right? Because I'm a lot to I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest, right? Um, a few years ago, we, we vacationed at Atlantis, right? Some of you may have seen it. Well, we, and it was great. It was a great vacation. Um, and the main hotel at Atlantis is kind of built around and built through a giant fish tank. I mean, we're the fish tank's lot much larger than this room, right? There are sharks in there, and there are all kinds of, you know, you know, stuff in there. I don't know what, a lot of fish in there. And there are actually pictures of people that got married at the bottom of the fish tank. You know, they wear the little helmet things, and they got the, you know, the air bubbles coming up. Now, I've never been asked to perform a wedding at the bottom of the Atlantis fish tank. And my wife doesn't like water, so we didn't get married at the bottom of the fish tank. Let me ask you, did any of you get married underwater? No, I, I thought we'd have at least one, all right? Did any of you get married on the beach? I knew we'd have some beach. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the, here's the point. Most people don't get married in a fish tank, and most people don't get married on the beach because the vast majority of people don't look good in bathing suits. <laughs> if you think you do, that will change too, all right? That's why when you go to say yes to the dress, they're not bringing out little tiny bathing suits. They're bringing out giant wedding gowns, right? And what's the point? The point of what John sees is this. You and I are riddled with flaws. 
We've got blemishes that nobody else knows as well as we know, right? But the work of Jesus, that Christmas beginning, that Good Friday Easter middle, and this Acts 6 end works in a way to cover all of those blemishes and cover all of those flaws. Just like a wedding dress, not like a bikini. That's the gospel, right? The gospel is we need a wedding dress, not a bikini, right? You, you can understand that. But here's another point. It isn't just that all those flaws are covered. The transforming part of the gospel is that we grow into the picture that God already sees. God looks at us and he sees all of our blemishes covered. He sees all of our flaws taken care of and covered in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit, as Carlos reminded us a few weeks ago, he comes into us, he indwells us, and he begins to make us, he grows us into that beautiful picture that God already has. And one day that transformation will be complete and that comes in Act 6. See how that works? It's a place that's full of people. There's community, relationship, and it's a place of transformation. Now, I hope you notice this, right? So far, two of the pieces of our destination are two of our three values as a church. Our values are relational, transformational. The first piece of the destination is relationship, and the second is complete transformation. Our values grow right out of the destination and that right now we're in process. All right, the third piece of the destination is what we're going to call satisfaction. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood, a tr stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What's the diet? Water and fruit. How many of you are disappointed? Water and fruit. Charles, are you kidding me? I thought you said this destination was a good one. I was thinking of cheesesteaks, hoagies, pizza, and none of it's ever fattening. Water and fruit. Who wants that diet? Yeah, the idea isn't that that's the diet, right? John's not giving us items on the menu. John is saying, one day you will be completely satisfied. One day all of your needs and desires will be met. Now here's the interesting thing. As we go through life and live in this world, our desires are always frustrated, aren't they? I'd be willing to bet most of you right now could complain, you are complaining about something, right? I mean, it's amazing. We complain. Why do we complain? Because our desires aren't being completely met. We complain about other people. We complain about our spouse. We complain about our kids. Complain about our parents. Complain about our jobs. Complain about our church. Complain about how long Charles speaks. We complain all the time, right? Complain, complain, complain. Why do we complain? That's proof of the fact that we're not completely satisfied. We're not content. But we've got this desire inside that's longing for more. I have a question for you. Who's more content? A millionaire or a father of eight children? The father of eight because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> I just heard that. I figured I'd, I'd enlighten you with that this morning. I like that. Yeah. So, but... But we go through life and our desires are always frustrated. But what John's saying is, in Acts 6, you will be completely satisfied. In Acts 6, all of those desires will be met. All of the things that somehow get short-circuited now will be complete 
and will go on forever and ever. I, uh, I don't have a bucket list. Do any of you have a bucket list? Like, I don't have a bucket list. But I did start a, a kick-the-bucket list. <laughs> now, my kick-the-bucket list is this. The stuff I want to do once I get to the other side. I figured a bunch of stuff I could do here. Here's my kick-the-bucket list. I want to watch a video of Genesis 1. Would you like to see that? And, and I want to know how long it really took, because that's a big fight. You know, how long, was it a short time or a long period of time? I want to see a video of that. Um, I'd like to talk to Noah. And I want to hear how he put up with all those cranky, cantankerous neighbors, and he kept building that boat, right? And did he hurt his hand, hit his thumb and stuff often? I'd like to know that. I want to hear David sing. That'd be good, wouldn't it? And I just know, sorry for, I know he now plays lead guitar. He gave up that liar thing. He plays guitar now. It'd be pretty cool to hear Daniel pray, wouldn't it? That'd be good. How about this one? To hear Paul preach. Because I still don't know while he was preaching, if he was so good, how'd that guy fall asleep and fall out the window? <laughs> you know, I just know, I bet Paul was boring, right? I, I don't know. I'm just, the guy fell asleep. I know you're saying, well, Charles, we fall asleep every week. I know, but you don't fall out the window either. That, that's why we don't have a, the balcony has a railing on it here. I want to hang out with Peter for a little while and just watch him and hear him say whatever comes into his mind. Just <laughs> follow him around. Wouldn't you like to talk to some of the martyrs and hear what they did and how they did it? And I got a lot of catching up to do with my mom and dad. Everything on my kick the bucket list has to do with people and satisfaction. The marriage together of being with people without the selfishness and the flaws, but the comfort and satisfaction connected. Aren't you looking for that day? Well, we've got another one. Not just satisfaction. It's kind of like home. It's kind of like home. Listen to how uh, John writes it. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying of pain. For the old order of things has passed away. You know what home is? Home is the place where you belong. Home is the place where you're accepted. Home is the place, let's be honest, where you're known and still loved. Outside of your home, we're always hiding, right? Because we just know if they really knew who we were, they'd reject us. But you're known in your home, right? They know who you really are, but they still love you. It's amazing. You're known and you're loved all at the same time. And parents have a way of communicating that home in a way that nobody else can. In fact, I'd be willing to say when you think of home, you think of family relationships. And most of you probably think of your parents. Now, if you want to get a little taste of what home sounds like, just walk down the nursery hall. Uh, my wife uh, teaches, or teaches, she hangs out in the nursery and takes care of babies and changes diapers. But if you walk down the hall, which I go to see her most weeks, you almost always hear something like this, right? Um, the women that work in the nurseries want to hold the kid. They never put the kid down, right? Uh, and it's amazing how kids learn how to walk because you know, they're always being held, right? And, so they, and you'll, hear, you'll hear this because the kids are crying in the nursery, right, usually. And somebody's saying this, honey, 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 I know I know, even if they don't know, I know, I know, mommy will be back 
She's over taking a nap while Charles is speaking. She'll be back. <laughs> I know, I know. And eventually mom comes back and the child smiles and the crying stops and the child experiences home. You know what Act 6 is kind of like? Act 6 is hearing God say, honey, 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 I know, I know, but it's all over now. You're home. And it's not just that you're avoiding all of those things. All of that pain has somehow been transferred. It's been transformed. And that really bad stuff has been so worked out to become great stuff. I know. I know. You're home. I'm not an Amy Grant fan, really. But, you know, in one of her songs, she really uh, gets it right. Here's what she says. Why, why, why does it go this way? You ever ask that question? Why does it go this way? I don't want it to go this way. Why does it go this way? And then she answers her own question. But somewhere down the road, there'll be answers to your questions. Somewhere down the road, you'll be able to put it right. Now, here's the neat part. Somewhere down the road, there are mighty arms reaching out for you. And they will hold the answer at the end of the road. Notice, you don't get an explanation that satisfies your curiosity, you get arms that welcome you home. What we know as little kids still is the longing, and that's the destination of being home with God. But it raises one more question then. Okay, so we looked at a little bit at the destination, looked at the situation, but how do we get there? What's the invitation? Well, the invitation's kind of weird. And if you read this chapter, you may kind of miss what's required. So here, here's the requirement. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the only requirement to get home, to get satisfaction, to get community, what's the only requirement to get that destination? There's only one requirement, to be thirsty. Yeah, but thirst is the hardest thing to admit, isn't it? All you need to get there is the realization and the acknowledgement of your thirst but acknowledging our thirst is the hardest thing to acknowledge because we want to do it ourselves. We want to satisfy our thirst. We want to dig the well. We want to turn on the faucet. We want to get the glass. We want to satisfy our own thirst. No, no, no. The only requirement to get all that we long for is to acknowledge and admit your thirst. And if you acknowledge and admit your thirst, you then can look to God as the one who supplies what's needed to satisfy your thirst. Have you done that yet? Do you have the guts to realize and then acknowledge your thirst? Or are you still living trying to pretend it's not real? And what else? So your thirst is the prerequisite. 
and what's the requirement. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And as you read through Revelation, you find an interesting pairing. Starting, like in, Genesis, starting in Revelation 5, you always have that pairing, the throne of God and of the Lamb, God and of the Lamb. Before that, it's God's throne. But then after, Gen after Revelation 5, it's throne of God and of the Lamb, God and of the Lamb. You ever realize that John could have used whatever other metaphor he wanted, right? The throne of God and of the shepherd. The throne of God and of the king. The throne of God and of the prince. The throne of God and of the warrior. The throne of God. But he says the throne of God and of the lamb. Why would he say that? Well, because he wanted to communicate and what was riveted into his heart was something that started all the way back in Exodus. And all the way back in Exodus, we have the record of the first Passover. And the first Passover goes like this. God's patience had run out. Judgment was coming. And so he says to his people, I am now bringing judgment on Egypt. But the Israelites were no less sinful than the Egyptians were. And so if judgment was going to come on Egypt and the Israelites were in Egypt, judgment was coming on them too. But God continued. So, but if you as my people will kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the door frames of your homes, when the angel of judgment, the angel of death goes through Egypt, the angel will see that a death already occurred in that home and the angel will pass over and leave alive everybody in that home. And centuries later, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan and he saw Jesus walk by and John said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John got it. John knew that forgiveness didn't come from those little lambs being slaughtered. All the lambs were pointing to Jesus, the ultimate lamb. And here's John at the end of the book, at the end of the story in Acts 6. All you need to do is acknowledge and realize your thirst. But yeah, you know what? Your thirst isn't going to get you in. Something's got to get you in. And what gets you in is the lamb being substituted for you and you accepting what the lamb accomplished on your behalf. Acknowledge your thirst. Trust your substitute. And experience Acts 6. The story begins all the way in Genesis. God creates it continues that human beings reject God. God then promises that he's going to work this in a, in a way for his glory and our good. God then appears in Jesus Christ. We celebrate that at Christmas. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. And he sends us to go and take that message and invite people to experience it. And then God says it's still future to us. But Acts 6 is coming when God restores all things. And in that restoration... There will be community, and there will be transformation, and there'll be satisfaction, and there'll be home and acceptance forever. And there's only one way to get there. Acknowledge your thirst and trust the substitute, Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, Acts 6 will one day be yours. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and the band's going to come back out. But we're not going to recite the Apostles' Creed as we end our service. We're going to sing it. We've sung this song a few times in the series. And so I'm going to ask you to stand.
And we're going to pray together, and when we're done, we're going to sing what we believe. So let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for telling us what we need to know. We thank you, Spirit, for showing us what we need to see and experience. And we pray, Lord, that our beliefs won't just stick in our head, but may these beliefs trickle down to our hearts and in our lives. May we live out that message. May we live out the fact that you are a good God and live out the fact that, Jesus, you are the only Savior of our lives and the only Savior the world will ever know. And, Spirit, may we trust your work to transform And help us right now to put into play in our relationships and in our church and in our community and in our families and our context a little taste of what Acts 6 will one day be. Help us to taste it just a little today. In Christ's name. Jesus, our Savior.